1: And welcome to the Doctor Who Pod, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am site and joining me, as always, is my partner in time, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you, my friend?
0: All the better for seeing your lovely little face and hearing those dulcet Gloucestershire tones. Oh, dulcet it's been a it's it's been a little bit, and I'm it's just glad to be back in the saddle with all this.
1: Yeah, a few things have popped up in the last week or so, and we were supposed to be recording with a guest, but then we had to postpone, and then we arranged for uh, our other guest to come in, but then that had to be postponed, Um, but we've, we've got something sorted out to be released, so here we go. Good stuff. Yeah, it was a bit of a
0: mad rush. Life gets in the way for all of us. It's just, a, it just sort of goes with the territory. So, in a change from your regularly scheduled programming, uh, we're looking at Peter Davison's Planet of Fire because it's the shortest one we had left that we could watch without a guest.
1: It was indeed. I, I can't even remember what we've got left, you know. I know we're doing so, the, the pilot, aren't we, with um, Chris? Yeah, we've got
0: Chris coming on the pilot which was supposed to be this week well supposed to be last week but you know life gets in the way and all that uh, so we've got pilot with peter capaldi then we've still got uh, mind robber patrick troughton oh uh planet of fire which we're doing today uh, then our last guest episode with uh, with tom the publican on uh, from twitter that's invasion of time with tom baker and then we're going to be looking for our final special at the Peter Cushing movie, Doctor Who in the Daleks.
1: Indeed. Indeed. And it's funny as well, Dan, that you mention that we haven't spoken or recorded for a week or two. Well, it's we missed a week, didn't we, recording-wise? Yeah. But because we're so, well, I say organised, and I say we, that's a complete lie, because you're so organised, we do record pretty much every week. So when we miss a week, it feels really strange. And you mentioned there that, you know, sort of slightly tongue-in-cheek that it's... Um, nice to hear my Gloucester dulcet tones, there's actually a link to this story, Planet of Fire, to Gloucester.
0: Of course.
1: Which I I will get to very, very soon. Um... This four-part story, Planet of Fire, was first broadcast in February going into March of 1984. It's a four-part story, but was broadcast over two weeks. Um, I believe the show was shown on a Thursday night and a Friday night, and then the following week it was Thursday night, Friday night again. Uh, As Dan mentioned, Peter Davison is our doctor for this story. Uh, We've only one story left after this, which we covered, I think, back in our first season of the podcast, Dan? Yeah, Caves of Androzani. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Uh, We say goodbye to a companion in this story. We also say goodbye to a character who some people call a companion, some people don't. Uh, And then we say hello to another new companion, which is rather nice. We also see the master here as well. So a lot going on, I think, in this particular, well, not, not just this story, but this particular time frame, this particular couple of weeks of Doctor Who, Dan.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a vast amount going on, in the, especially in this four-parter. It's, um, I think, dense would be the word in terms of how much they've tried to cram in.
1: Yes, yes, indeed. Um, we begin, my first note actually says it's a quarry, but I don't think it is. It's too big to be a quarry, isn't it? Yeah, it's...
0: So the thing is with this, from what little I managed to look up on the, on the background... This was actually filmed. I believe a lot of it was actually filmed uh, in Lanzarote. So nice. While it's so, it's not a it's not a quarry as, uh, as such because Lanzarote is a you know volcanic island. So that's I think part of that's the reason it was chosen for this particular story. And I've closed everything down and frantically trying to find it
1: now. Um, it's sorry, a it. it's a Lanzarote quarry. A Lanzarote quarry. Quarryzotti. Quarazzotti, there we go. That sounds like stupid. that sounds like a Italian. Yeah, that That's as well. I'm
0: going out for I'm going out for noodles tonight, and I was just thinking, ooh,
1: oh, um, I, I hope I think you need to either make a voice note or a slow recording of you asking if they've got the quarazzotti, so and then send it to me because that will pop laugh and laugh until the wee runs down my legs. Um <laughs> it will not. It will not. Uh, the show begins with two fellas walking around the Quarazotti, Um and a running theme in this story, I find, is that everyone is wearing um, headdresses and long uh, long sort of flowing sh- tops and gowns and so on and really teeny shorts. Yeah, because do you know why? Why is that? Because it's fucking not in Lanzarote. I imagine so. I uh, it's, so. it's
0: actually there's actually a thing in the uh, the sort of notes about the production of this, um, because Peter Davison starts off, you know, wearing his usual sort of cricketer's outfit, mm. and then he ends up
1: uh, we end up with the uh, with Summer Doctor, Summer Doctor, yeah, Vacation Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, how sorry must we now feel for Anthony Ainley then as the Master, wearing it wearing that huge sort of you know, it basically it's like a big onesie, it's like big black pajamas, isn't it? It's well, it's pretty much a suit. Mm. a full suit in Lanzarote and it no just poor bastard (laughs) yeah but I think he is superb in this story I really really enjoy the master in this but then I I always do Anthony Ainley. I I see some places he gets a little bit of stick for some of his performances it gets a bit hammy a bit cheesy a bit over the top but I I really enjoy him every time we've seen him
0: yeah pretty much pretty much same Um, we'll come on to it we'll come on to my thoughts on the master because even by Doctor
1: Who standards, this gets fucking ridiculous. Oh, it makes me chuckle. Um, <laughs> effectively, early on, we have, I suppose, two separate stories that are going to become entwined quite quickly. We have what's going on in the uh, Lanzarote Quarry with everyone traipsing around on this planet. It begins with an S, doesn't it? What's the planet called? Scar? Sarn. 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 Sarn, okay. And, uh, this is a a place where there's a volcano and there's uh, a god that is being worshiped by the name of logar and they have their elders there who lead them in worship of this particular god and and so on and these two guys walking around the the mountains and etc are going up to the top of one to effectively have a little look into what we would we assume is a volcano at this stage because the, the logar is a god Fire God, and he's going to send rivers of fire down, and all this sort of stuff. There's there's a lot of belief in this particular Logar character that they have early on. And whilst this is going on, we've got some people like fishing somewhere else. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's it, it, when I say it's dense. Within the first few minutes, we have uh, Rosco and Amiand, who are the two geezers climbing the mountain, so I've okay. to go and have a look. We've then got. But elsewhere on sound we've got two older blokes in robes talking about executing unbelievers right. which is a bit heavy and then we're in what looks like more modern times with a fishing crew finding some sort of wee-woo beat boot device when they were looking for Greek or Roman ruins yeah. it's it, it's effect- so it's effectively three stories in two locations or two time periods very very quickly Yes. Um, it's it's not and it's not done badly to to sort of start with, and it doesn't necessarily get to a point where it's bad. It's just a lot to take in, and it suffers from I struggle to keep everybody's names in
1: my head. I struggle with that at the best of times, which is why we end up with nicknames for a lot of characters as we're watching these shows. But yeah. um, <laughs> I, uh, it's not a big cast either. That's a funny thing you've got. You've got the Doctor, obviously. You've got uh, Turlo, And then we've got the you know, the debuting Perry. Mm. That aside, we have got the Master. And then we've got, I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe seven or eight characters that are named over the course of two hours of TV. But you know what I've just realised as well? They don't, they don't use the names very often,
0: apart from um, Timonov, who I kept wanting to call Tamakov, Tarkov... Testicle cough, you know all sorts of stuff, <laughs> and and Malkin, who's the, the sort of quote unquote chosen, one. and the only reason I remember Malkin is because it sounds a bit like Malkin.
1: Yeah, I'm probably going to call it Malcolm, to be fair. Yeah, well, that's fine. I think we can go with that. Um, okay, and um, it's just
0: it's just very difficult. I think one of the there's like one of the main sort of unbel- unbelievers heretic uh, leaders. It's a woman who we see sort of early on. She comes into another scene in part two or three and then has a few lines in part four. Her name is given just in passing and then it's gone. I think it's Sarastra or something like that. Yes. Yep. And I only remember that because I made a point of of writing it down. Otherwise, I'd be completely lost. It's, it's a bit similar, weirdly, to how I felt watching the first couple of episodes of Game of Thrones. I've never seen that. So with Game of Thrones at the start, they throw so many characters and so many names at you. That I'm, I was looking at it going, wait, who the fuck is who? So I actually started reading. I actually started reading the book so I could keep up with what was going on on the TV.
1: Okay, right, yeah,
0: yeah, and which is, it, it's weird to say, like you said, because it is such a small cast, but it's, it's, I found it difficult to keep all the names in head. I really did.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, very true, very true. Um, Timonov and uh, the younger lad. Is is it Malcolm that's with him at this point? Malcolm, yeah, but yeah, we'll call him Malcolm. Fuck it. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs>
0: oh man, I need to. I need to go back now and figure out if he was ever stood in between people because then he'd be Malcolm in the middle.
1: Brilliant. <laughs> uh, they are uh, just having a having a discussion about the, the the sort of religious ramifications, like what's up coming, and this this God and, and all the sending a sign and all this sort of stuff. And um, Timonov is the the high elder I suppose he's the chief elder isn't he the more senior of the advisors to to the the, the chosen one here and yeah. he has a a triangle mark on his arm which matches the triangle markings on the metal thing that the fishermen found back in present day so straight away you've got a little tie in there haven't you yeah but this
0: for me I, I get that the transmitter thing although you know this artifact we find is meant to be some sort of transmitter and it's dropped there by who will you know will figure out later on uh the tryons yes but it is it is literally just now where i was thinking wait what did that what did that artifact have to do with anything other than being a convenient locator and it's only just now, a few hours after watching it, that I've realised. Oh, yeah, it's all linked to the triumphs mm-hmm. because it's just another story element that comes into play later on that makes this so densely packed and and sort of in places quite difficult to absorb. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I thought I, 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 I thought it was a loose end. I thought it was a plot hole that they just left there, and then halfway through halfway through my sentence, I was just like, oh wait, no, it was the triumphs.
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah, I guess it. <laughs> um, a distress signal is being picked up by the TARDIS, and Turlough, who we all know, I you know, as we've mentioned on previous stories here on the Doctor Who pod that have involved Turlough, I'm not the biggest fan, and um, we're not quite on Adric levels here, but I'm not the biggest fan of this particular character. But you know, he's he's looking at a distress signal that's being sent out as the Doctor is dealing with Chameleon, who is a Screaming robot. He's in pain in the TARDIS. Now Chameleon, are you familiar with anything about him, Dan?
0: I will read my notes verbatim to tell you the answer to that question. Okay. The notes read thus. What the fuck is Chameleon? That is some proper 80s wee woo beep boo blow budget C3 PO shit. <laughs> Uh, we're gonna I have see, uh, never, never, ever seen Chameleon before now. That is Oh, that is something. Yes. In in is. many, in many aspects, they've they've like they've gone to great pains to add in various details, mechanical components, like you can see into his head almost and see you know, see bits of stuff working around and got the thing on his you know on his stomach that looks like some sort of power core or something like that. And then it's just tinfoil sleeves.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, mar- it's marvellous. It's very odd. I mean, Chameleon is a shape-shifting android, is to give him his proper description that is used on the show at times. He appears in a few stories uh, around this time. He is pretty crap, let's be honest.
0: But when you're less relevant than K9, you've got a
1: problem. Yeah, Totally. It's not a good look, is it? I mean, for this story, he is quite important because of what the master is doing and so on. But pretty much the whole of Chameleons Run is kind of just meh. Again, I think it's like three stories he's in tops, uh, somewhere around there. And one of the reasons they ended up not using him anymore. uh, Well, first of all, he was he had a terrible habit of causing problems because of the way his character is and the things his character would do and for example this story here is a shape shifting android chameleon is took over by the master and is being used in the shape shifting way to get what the master wants so already it shows how you know chameleon's a bit of a weak spot on team Tardis in this particular story but because of that and also the fact that manoeuvring and using the radio controls and so on for the prop that was Chameleon became incredibly more difficult. Apparently, the actual prop itself, what we see on the screen, is is quite poorly designed, and they struggled to use him effectively. They start just leaving him in the TARDIS when they start when they go out for other adventures. And that's why, and that's why in this we see him lay, either laid
0: down or stood up straight all the time and never actually moving. Yes
1: exactly so they start just leaving him in the TARDIS um effectively to basically say comedian we're going out for a bit now you stay here and have a lie down pal because you're shit and you're hard work to operate and eventually he's written out this written out the the show as we're going to discover very soon um with regards to Turlo picking up this distress signal he is then saying oh no what is this and rips a load of wires out of the TARDIS control board so already we're thinking, what is going on here? This is a bit a bit curious. I'm not 100% sure what, what's happening with Turlo here. And then we meet Perry, don't we? And she is very bored with her life, Dan.
0: She is indeed. There's
1: a lot of, well, effectively
0: spoiled little rich girl initially because she's telling her stepdad to stop lecturing her about Greek and Roman you know, myth and stuff like that. And then she's saying how oh, she's bored, she's met a couple of English guys and she's going to Morocco. She's already cashed in her plane ticket.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Just just to bugger her off. Yeah. It's like, whoa, okay. And she's saying, You can't stop
1: me, you can't stop me, you can't stop me. And he's like, Well, no, I can't. So, okay then. The stepdad, <laughs> uh the stepdad's named Howard. Yes. Now, Howard it, it, at the beginning of this, he seems okay, and he's saying, you know, your mum will kill me uh, if I let you just disappear and all this sort of stuff, and it, he's trying to talk her out of it, and then he says, oh, you know what, I'm not going to stop you, um, but I don't want you to be without money, but buy your ticket to back back home, uh, get it back, mm-hmm. and I'll wire you the money. And you're thinking, oh, okay, as far as stepdads go, this goes this goes all right, he seems pretty decent, fair enough. And then we get a little bit of a funny turn. There's a hug with Perry that's a bit lingering, for a stepdad. Um, yeah. He then basically says he can't find his wallet, jumps on um, a little, uh, a little, you know, small smaller dinghy. boat. Dingy. Yeah, okay, dingy um, from the sail ship that they're using to to fish and, and look for these artifacts with and so on, and just buggers off and just leaves her on the boat. <laughs> And she's going, what are you doing? I've got to be at the airport in an hour. And he's like, yes, bye then. I'm like, what is your problem, dude? <laughs> oh, God. I actually found that quite funny. I mean, honestly, what is this, what is going on with this fella? You know? <laughs> okay, because oh. when say, well, he says he left it, no, what he does is he, he gets her out to
0: the boat by saying he left his wallet there. Yes. So they have to go get his wallet. So she goes with him. And then he gets on the boat on the little dinghy back and he's like, I'll send another one back for you. It'd be all right. And she said, well, I've got to be at the airport. And I'm like, Oh, you're doing this on purpose, you, you know, you're bastard effectively. And he's just there, just going, Sorry. It's just like, oh, it was I think from from his point though, I kinda I do kinda get it. As much as he's been a devious bastard, he's stopping his essentially Stopping his stepdaughter from just buggering off to Morocco with two randomers she just met. Yeah. In a in a way,
1: it's kind of
0: responsible.
1: It's just very underhand and devious. And it's also a very irresponsible way of trying to be responsible because he's leaving the lat on a boat on her own in the middle of the water. It's just like, what are you doing, dude?
0: You know. True, but as she pointed out earlier, Perry is an adult.
1: Yeah, fair point. Fair point. So
0: um, you know, it's kind of like uh, you can see you can see the good on you can see the good and bad on both sides. But yeah, he's been uh, he's he's been
1: a bit of a tosser. But she was also quite rude to him earlier. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. And she does sort of perk up a little bit when he says, "Oh, I'll give you some money." Then all of a sudden, she's like, "Oh, you're great! and it's like, "Yeah, that, that's,
0: this is why this is why I said about she starts off as a bit of a spoiled little rich girl."
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Um. The guy who played Howard is a fella by the name of Dallas Adams, which sounds quite a, you know, Hollywood or even or even wrestling name, doesn't it? Dallas Adams. It sounds like a good working name for a wrestler or a big Hollywood didn't, actor. Didn't he work world-class championship wrestling for about 15 years? Yes. <laughs> I mean, his middle name doesn't quite match. His middle name is Roland, but we'll ignore that. Um <laughs> He's quite an interesting character. He was in various bits and bobs uh throughout you know television in the 70s and 80s. The likes of being, you know, the likes of stuff like Bergerac, uh Robin of Sherwood was quite a big thing at one point. Praro, he was in, um, for, for the sci-fi fans like there, space 1999, he was in as well. But the biggest thing with this character, this this actor that I could find was that um he he was gay. And oh. he when he won a lawsuit in court, when he and his partner uh, split up, and there was a, a you know a sort of dividing up of you know your, your property or the, the stuff you own or your stuff you've accumulated over time and and so on, and it, it, it's called a poly, poly money, sorry, lawsuit, and he won the largest in English legal history for a gay relationship and that was like that was like an absolutely b- a big thing in the papers in the 80s which then led to his casting in this particular story getting quite heavily criticised by some what well, some pieces of shit basically some homophobic ass
0: <laughs> some homophobic wonder ass. You, I wonder where you were going with that I, yeah. I was waiting for the word knobheads or something
1: <laughs> yeah so, some homophobic pieces of shit in the, in the british press uh his casting in doctor who here received quite a bit homophobic criticism Um, and I just find considering you know he's in this this one particular story and plays Perry's uh, stepdad and Perry's you know we've been singing Perry's praises particularly this season of the Doctor Who pod because we've seen quite a bit of her uh, on screen and you know quite a bit of her if you know what I'm getting at and um, it's interesting that she's, she's got this character linked with her but only appears in one story but he's quite prominent in this story as well, and then you've got this background of appearing in all these, you know, TV shows. I remember from when I was a kid, and then this 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 lawsuit, um, massive win in in legal history. Uh, he sadly died in his mid forties in the early nineties, uh, in part of the the big AIDS pandemic that was sort of sweeping the world in the late eighties and early nineties. He, he was a victim of that, sadly. But I just found this really interesting individual, reading up on his uh, his background and so on. Yeah, very much
0: so. Very much interesting person. It's, um,
1: like I said, just a shame he died so young. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, w- the TARDIS materialises here on the beach as Perry has been left on the boat. And she decides eventually that sh- she's going to make a swim for it, doesn't she? So we get the, I suppose, initial uh, Perry photography. Shall we word it that way? It's probably the most, you know... <laughs> Yeah, where she strips down to her bikini and the camera lingers on her torso and other parts of her body. Well, it's not really necessary, you know. But Absolutely, not. It, it
0: was a it was a basically knees to face panning up shot. Yes, very very slowly. It, I, I, in my notes, I've got oh, so we started the we started the cheap titillation early in Perry's run then. <laughs> Literally, in like her second scene. <laughs> yeah, but this is so here's the start of something that annoyed me throughout this serial okay and it's the aspect that we've said before about characters being done when the story needs it yeah perry's out on the boat she must have some knowledge of essentially you know open water safety okay things like that we've had it established that you have to, that you, you know the best way to get off this boat is on a dinghy so Perry decides to swim for it with her stuff in a plastic bag. Mm. And she swipes the metal thing as well, doesn't she? But yeah, because she thinks it's made of platinum and she's going to cash it in and fuck off to Morocco, even though she's only got an hour to get to the airport.
1: But you know, Bear in mind, I mean, so effectively, in these early couple of scenes, we know Perry's character develops I and mean, we learn more about her. And as I said previously, uh, well in my opinion I'm pretty sure you agree Dan we've come to quite, grow well, quite fond of Perry she, I, I quite yeah. like her as a companion um, but in these only a few scenes we've established that she's a stroppy little rich girl who's then easily manipulated when her stepdad offers to give her money and she's also now a thief as well as maybe being a little bit easy if she's just going to run off with two fellas to, to, to Morocco
0: whoa let's
1: not go that far
0: I will not have you cast that kind of aspersion on on Perry's
1: character but we're getting a lot of maybe not good character traits thrown at us in these opening scenes really when you break it down aren't we
0: yeah yeah again it's another part another way that this serial throws a lot at you throughout you know it's (laughs) there's just a lot there which isn't necessarily a bad thing but when it's being done in all these different ways it can just be a bit much because yeah. we go straight from that perry deciding to go for a swim and within seconds she's floundering and, and drowning and turlo sees her on the monitor then the doctor's been chased by a waiter because he leaves alien currency at a cafe
1: <laughs> i enjoyed that that did
0: amuse me and then we're back on san and a, a woman's telling tim that unless there's a unless there's a sign he'll burn on the sacrificial altar and then we're back with Turlough taking Perry to one of the tiredest bedrooms.
1: Yeah, I and mean, with regards to... Not like uh, not like that before anybody no, thinks no, 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 no. With Tur- regards to <laughs> Perry, <laughs> first of all... Sorry, yeah. mate. Perry, first of all, obviously, you know, one for the dads in the audience who are watching in this, you know, uh, sort of evening in 1984, Perry in the bikini, etc., etc. One for the mums, Turlough in a pair of tiny, tiny shorts, unnecessarily small, and then he decides, oh... I gotta go save this silly human girl. Takes <laughs> the shorts off into his teeny teeny pants. Yeah. Oh, Taylor's got his milky pins out. Come on, mate. But the thing is, it's weird to me, right? Now, I don't go swim. I, I, I used to swim when I was a kid, but I've not been swimming for decades now. I don't understand. I, mean, I get in the sea with the kids when we have gone holiday and stuff like that. Why is he stripped down to his tiny tiny pants, but then left his shirt on? I've no idea. I don't get that.
0: I've no idea. You're talking to a guy who can't go swimming anymore because every time I do, they try and drag me out to deeper water with the rest of the whales. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he is a <silly> bugger. <laughs> uh, Funny, funny though, isn't it? Um, but yeah, it, it baffles me. But I did love how Turlo's just looks at Perry drown and she
1: goes, "Oh, humans." Yeah, yeah, that did make me laugh. Even though uh, there's also an undercurrent of oh, just. Fuck off, Turla. But anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> but,
0: then, but then when he when he's, like when he takes it and puts her in in the bedroom and just like, he lays her down and pulls the covers over her, and she's there saying, "I think I'm dying," and he just "No, you're not." Just mm. just shut up and go to sleep.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, here we we have uh, Timanov back in the um, I suppose the the caves, the passages, the 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 settling of of where these these people are. And he's asking the god logo for a sign. And there's fire in a cage then, which people seem to think is a sign from their fire god. Um, Turlo discovers that this metal thing Perry has stole has the same mark as him. But then we get Perry having a bad dream. And this is where I think we start to get a little bit more of a sign that Howard, her stepdad, might be a bit of a bastard. Because she's getting upset and crying and saying it's dark, no, 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 I'm scared. This is worrying. Yeah, this was a bit like, what the hell is going on here? You know? Yeah, and do you know what? Thankfully, they left that one alone. Mm. Yes. Like, maybe bring that up later, because that
0: would seem to be a sign of hardcore trauma. Mm. But, yeah, it was uh, certainly something to think about.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, Whilst this is going on, uh, the the wobbly robot chameleon is f- flickering and shimmering in different, you know, bad eighties sci fi effects, and turns into Howard wearing a suit, and he, you know he basically gets up and has a little bit of a wander about in this in this guy uses Howard. Um, the TARDIS has materialised now in the same location as you know uh, Timonov and the the Fire God and so on. Doctor and Turlough go out for a bit of a about. leaving Perry in the in the in the TARDIS. No, we've,
0: you, you, we've
1: skipped a bit here. Uh, okay,
0: because um, could the uh, the chameleon Howard, as we're going to call him, he's already met the Doctor and Turlough in yes. the, uh, the in in the TARDIS, which is which is kind of vital, um, because this catches the Doctor up. Um, and, you know, Chameleon Howard lies and says he saw Turlow say Perry. And the doctor says, well, who's Perry? And he's like, well, that's the girl in the room that I haven't told you about yet. And the doctor has a look at Turlo, and says, why are you abducting women?
1: Yeah, that was spot on. It's like, what are you doing? Because that's me? all he told. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But
0: because the TARDIS has dematerialised, effectively Chameleon, when he's had his, he's had his little shit fit before, has reset the uh, the coordinates. And now they're, they're off to
1: sun. Mm. Yeah. Um uh, And this is pr- pretty much the end of episode one now, isn't it? Because the Doctor and Turlo head out the TARDIS and Chameleon turns into the Master here and that's when we get the reveal that the Master is there.
0: Yeah, it was, again, a lot going on because these stories are coming together very quickly, which is strange, you know, normally it takes a little while. Um Timanov and whatnot are still in the midst of finding a sign and sorting sacrifices. A random guy with a telescope sees the TARDIS and interprets that as something called the outsider. That's part of the sort of local religion. We've got all the stuff happening with Chameleon. Um, Then he turns into the, then Chameleon turns into the master. it's It's just like, what the hell is going
1: on? Yes, indeed. It's all a bit all over the place, isn't it? Um, I, I get this feeling with some classic who though, because I find it weird trying to place myself back in how this would have been initially broadcast. Obviously this, this story is a bit different because it was broadcast Thursday night, Friday night, and then you have to wait a week and then Thursday night, Friday night. But if you go back to sort of the weekly airing of these shows and the reason I, the reason put this pops in my head is because I, I started to watch, um, invasion of time in preparation for this weekend. And it feels almost like you've got to go three weeks into the TV to twig what's going on. Now, mm-hmm. if I'm, you know, I try and sit and watch these shows, I mean, unless it's something like, you know, War Games, which was 10 parts or whatever, I try and sit them all in one, watch them all in one hit, mm-hmm. back to back, and that's how I tr- I'm more comfortable, you know, sort of consuming the stuff ready for the podcast. But if you watch it week to week, as opposed to all in one hit, which people would have done back in the 80s, I find it quite amazing to think that people would tune back in sometimes the following week, because it's not even a case of "Oh, what's going on?" There's a bit of a cliffhanger. I want to check it out. It's just what the fuck was that all about?
0: Yeah, and I go back to Doctor, not Doctor, go back to Game of Thrones that I mentioned before, and part of the problem of keeping up with who everybody was was having to wait week to week, mm. and just you know go you go back to it and say, "Oh, wait, who was that?" Who are they? What are they doing? Where's this part of the story going? And I think this would have potentially really suffered.
1: Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I was talking to Sharon about it the other day, my, my better half, and saying about how, you know, how people consume TV. is completely different now to how it was when these when shows were airing. If you had this on a streaming service, like a Netflix or whatever, back in the day, hmm. you'd watch one and be like, what the fuck was that all about?" And press play on part two. Yeah, it's just how people do things but you know now or sorry back then you haven't got that option so it's like well I, I didn't understand why people would regularly go back it must have just been obviously you know, options for television and entertainment back then were much more restricted um, interestingly enough that the TV ratings for this serial parts one three and four all clock in over seven million viewers when they first aired mm. Part two, so what's followed on literally from what we've just watched or just discussed, sorry, dropped down to like, you know, just above 6 million. So it lost a million viewers in it lit in 24 hours. Mm. So I don't know if that was, I mean, obviously it's Friday night, so it's a bit different. People are going out, et cetera. But when you look at the other parts of the story, they all held just over 7 million viewers each, including another episode that was broadcast on a Friday night. Now, I don't know what was on the other side. Uh, when this broadcast initially, but maybe there's an argument that what we're saying about how this first part is kind of a little bit, huh? What's that all about? Maybe it did have an effect on people watching part two. Potentially, yeah, I think as
0: well. And this is something I've noticed on a personal level with entertainment and and particularly TV series being so readily available. I find that I just cannot retain information about the show and things that happened and who people are. I just can't hold it in my head like I used to. Right. Because I'll watch ten episodes in three days. Yeah. Of something. And I think that was – I really enjoyed that. You ask me two days later and you say, what was your favourite episode? Couldn't tell you. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I'm forced to watch something – like a Game of Thrones or Walking Dead or something like that, where it it has to be week to week, I've got to pay attention mm-hmm. because I need to I need to retain this information until the following week. Yeah, yeah. No, I get. So that. I I think that might I think that might hinder it as well. Looking, you know, looking back on it and being able to access it through a streaming service as we do. And I think that's more a societal and, and technological cause than anything else. So, <clears throat> while my, while the criticism of it still stands, then maybe it just has to be a slight asterisk over it in terms of yeah. the difference in viewing habits and whatnot.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Uh, part two begins with Timing off wanting to fucking burn someone. So yeah, he's, he's, that. he's really eager for a for a sound barbecue, isn't he? Yes, he's, he's he's thinking. You know what? I haven't sacrificed anyone for a little while, so you know my fire god wants a sacrifice. I'm just going to pick some dude and and chuck him in the fire. There we go. That'll settle everyone down for a bit, won't it? And if
0: I just happen to have a nibble on his thigh after it's nicely roasted, then that's just
1: a bonus. I reckon he might be a cannibal. Well, it's funny you mention <clears throat> nibbling on thighs. If you swear to God, if you link to this being something about Perry. No, it's not. It's not. This is my link to <laughs> Gloucester that I mentioned earlier. Oh God, this is even worse. Now, timonov is played by a relatively well-known actor for the for the time, or at least in, maybe a bit earlier in the seventies, by the name of Peter Wingard. Now, Peter Wingard is quite famous for a character called Jason King, who is supposed to have been a uh, an author, a novelist, whatever who turned into a kind of detective solving murders and so on. I suppose a little bit murder she wrote, but 1970s with a fella instead, if that makes sense. Mm. Now, first of all, Jason King, it, the character of Jason King, if you ever look him up, uh, he's been parodied all over the place. And it, he, um uh, for that time in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, he... It's very stereotypical what you would think if you took that, that era and then just cranked it up to 10. And he actually went on to inspire the Austin Powers, Austin Powers character. A lot of how Austin Powers is with regards to, especially the way he dressed, Austin Powers was heavily inspired by this, this king individual. But my link to Gloucester with this particular story of, of Doctor Who is that Peter Wingard um, was arrested. In Gloucester, uh, in Gloucester bus station, um, for gross indecency. With why,
0: a- did I, why, did, why did I know it was going to be something
1: like that? Well, it's Gloucester bus station, mate. <laughs> um, it, this was in 1975. Uh, so back then it was still, uh, 99% certainly was still illegal to, to to be homosexual in this country, and he was obviously, you know. He, he was homosexual himself, and he was caught in Gloucester bus station with an uh, unnamed crane operator, is the story read in, in, the, in the newspapers, um, was fined £75, pounds, and his career never really kicked back up to where it was after that um he drank a great deal i mean he lived he lived on for many 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 years i think he died at like 89 90 91 something like that he lived on for a very long you know 90, 90 years of age i mean not died in 1990 no he mm-hmm. lived on for a very long time but this was 1975 so his his top level of fame playing this jason king character had already been and gone and it's a lot of, you can you can argue look at the roles he took after this his career never really recovered from that kind of publicity for um effectively being arrested for homosexual acts in Gloucester bus station, probably about fifteen minute walk from where I'm sat right now. So it's a great
0: because it plays a really I think he plays a really good part, as Timonov.
1: Mm, yes, mm.
0: And, and that's the thing with this shit with this serial. Nobody plays a bad part. There's a couple of characters that are a bit forgettable. but. Nobody, nobody does anything. You know, there's, or maybe there's maybe two things in it where it's a bit lackluster. But by and large, the, everybody plays the roles well.
1: I uh, do you find though, and this is probably what we're going to experience now because we're forty minutes into the show, into our show already, and we've only covered part one. I feel we're going to get through the rest of this relatively quickly because whereas there are some very, very important story points, that's also. Quite a bit of filler for me.
0: There's a lot of there's a lot of waffling on and a lot of I want to call it world building, but yeah, I think it 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 runs that line between
1: world build world building and time padding. Mm, Yeah. Um obviously Doctor Who we've mentioned on numerous occasions on the podcast, especially Classic Who, there's a lot of running about. Mm. And there seems to be quite a bit of running about here, but especially by Perry. Um, shall we say, in this particular story, with uh, this particular episode, I mean, Perry and the Master fight. Chameleon comes back as they fight in the TARDIS. Says, "Help me." The Master's TARDIS arrives, which I thought was quite a cool effect. Um, eventually Perry gets away though, and she goes, she goes running off. And can we, I, can I, we
0: just, can we just for a second in that in that fight when Perry I'll say fight when Perry tries to run away? This is a robot. That she knows is a robot. Yes, and has seen to. Oh wait, no. Has she? No, she hasn't actually seen it be a robot. She's just seen it switch between her stepdad and the master.
1: It does tell her though. It tells her that it, she, he's a robot, or yeah. or she asks the question and he says yes. Oh, no, it? that's that, that's after this. Oh, um, okay. I'm getting my anyway. I'm getting my 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 robot conversations confused. <laughs> and, but this is this is, why, this is why it's hard to keep track,
0: but. I didn't know. I didn't know fully what was going on at this point. She kicks him in the shins, and like just belts her toe off the metal. And I've just got in my notes of oh, it's still, still a robot. Apparently, what's going on here? Um, and then we see that the master's got control of Chameleon, and he's projecting his form onto it. So again, we've got another another layer to all of this. And then later on, back with Perry and Chameleon. Um, I think what is it? Yeah, she's asking what's happened to Howard and he's safe on Earth. And it was just a projection of a subconscious that overwhelmed his circuits. Yeah. And then she says, "Circuits, so you're some kind of robot." No fucking shit. And that's again, Perry being another instance in this of Perry being dumb when they needed to be. Mm-hmm. Because she goes on to do some decent stuff. But yeah. Yeah, it's, okay. that, it's, that, it's that flitting around of and you know I suppose you could make the excuse of she's nearly drowned and then been abducted and has woken up on a spaceship with a, randomly with a stepdad and some
1: randomers mm. but still yeah. yeah this is true um, she does uh, a Baywatch bouncy run though doesn't she she goes a oh. little also why does Chameleon have nipples in its normal form yeah. Oh my god! I've got a note about that as well. Why? Why is that necessary?
0: <laughs> unnecessary, unnecessary robot nipples coming soon to Gallifrey fest.
1: <laughs> it's ridiculous.
0: Oh it's it's like it's like Batman and Robin from that from the late nineties, where they gave George Clooney his bat
1: suit. No, no, it wasn't. It was Val Kilmer in Batman Forever. They gave the bat suit bat nipples. Bat nipple. Don't bats have like eighty-seven nipples? though?
0: Yeah, but why would you put it on a superhero suit? So he had, like, loads of nipples? No, he just had the two like a human.
1: Oh, okay. So, okay, right.
0: If it wasn't, it wasn't even, it wasn't even biologically accurate for a
1: bat. (laughs) God damn it. Do your homework, researchers. (laughs) But still, why does chameleon have nipples? I don't know. To breastfeed little android babies? Does that happen? Perhaps oil. That's a mental image. Perhaps perhaps oil comes out of them, and if he meets another android that's a bit squeaky, you can have mine.
0: WD40 blast.
1: (laughs) Anyway. um, (laughs) uh, Chameleon gives Perry something here. It's part of the TARDIS, isn't it, that's needed? Yeah. He's glitching out. Yeah, and the master... I've got my notes here, but I'm getting a bit confused now because first of all, Howard comes back, but he's silver now. Silver Howard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the master is watching the doctor on some screen from wherever he is at this point in time with something around his head, which is helping him control comedian. He's, he's glitching all over the place. He gives Perry something. The master is, you know, then back in control. um, then chameleon as the master takes perry somewhere but there's tremors and this part of the building falls right on the top of the master's bonce and i'm not gonna lie that made me laugh quite a bit it did me as well but the question is well in fact
0: the reason it was funny is an ultra sophisticated shape-shifting robot from the future and god knows where in the galaxy is done in by a bonk on the head oh I, at this point, I'm not sure if they, in, like the people who were writing it, knew which master was doing what. Okay. Because it's a fucking robot. Yeah. It's not going to get a concussion, and then later on when it comes round, it the you know Anthony is there rubbing his head, as if it's oh, got yeah. a headache,
1: and it's just like it, it's a robot. It's a pretty shit robot, but it's a robot nonetheless.
0: Yeah, it, it wouldn't have a headache, no. unless some psychopath had, like, I don't know, programmed it to feel pain.
1: Well, it does, doesn't it? Because it was screaming in pain when we first come when we first met Chameleon at the start of this story.
0: Ah, but that was the master um, psychically projecting it and making Chameleon do it.
1: Well, perhaps that's what's happened then. Perhaps the master has, has seen what's happened and there's... Little bash on the bonds has made him think, Oh, I bet that hurt. And then, comedians like, Shit, that hurts. <laughs> it would be very,
0: it would be very master to worry about the aesthetic of how his robot self wakes up.
1: Uh, yeah, this is true. Um, the master's TARDIS also falls down, which is a bit inconvenient, isn't it? When it comes to, you know, wanting to travel through time and shit.
0: I didn't even um, realize that. I thought it was just rubble blocking the t- blocking the actual TARDIS. I didn't realize it had just fallen over like a wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh it cracks me up man in my head i'm thinking you know if it's the same as a doctor's tardis there's like a swimming pool in there and all sorts all that water is just sloshed everywhere you know it's <laughs> the library was in the
0: swimming pool yeah oh the swimming yeah, pool was imagine, in the, imagine library, the
1: mess yeah. the kitchen would be in right now you know that sort of thing was going oh. through my mind but
0: <laughs> just um, rooms and rooms of jarred food that's just gone everywhere
1: yeah <laughs> i wonder what the master likes to eat I, Oh, gherkins or whatever just smashed everywhere like jars of gherkins pickled onions I imagine the master's a pickled onion guy don't you? I don't know I've got a feeling he's a big fan of dolmio okay yeah, yeah doesn't, even not... use it. doesn't even use it with pasta just eats it from the jar dips his pickled onions in the dolmio dips his gherkins in dolmio <laughs> yeah um, this is when Perry does a very bouncy runaway you know again one for the dads in the 80s and <laughs> She's trying to get to the Doctor. Um, The Doctor and Turlo are... I don't know if they're captured or led by some of the people who are living on this planet to where the Elders and so on are. And then all of that becomes irrelevant because the Master catches up with Perry anyway. So it kind of feels a bit of filler. So yeah, this
0: this is another one of those bits where it's a bit back and forth. Perry's running away. Chameleon's going to the TARDIS, finds the bit missing... Because uh, that's what Silver Howard gave to Perry. Anthony Ailey's running around in a suit looking drastically uncomfortable. The doctors, the doctor and Turlow have been taken to the the unbelievers, so to speak. Uh-huh. And they're going through the whole thing and saying, we're not from Logar and whatever. The master car- catches up with Perry and he calls her Evanescent, which I had to look up because it means someone who uh, basically means that she's soon going to fade from existence. And I thought it was just a band.
1: I've seen them live. Uh, oh, Emily. No, um, she was a knob, mate. She was an absolute oh, knob. They were supporting she. um that they were playing just before Iron Maiden. And it's quite notorious for support bands, especially going back in, in, in a couple of decades, that support bands back then would sometimes get a rough ride from Maiden fans because all they were there for was to see Maiden. Mm-hmm. And she did a few ballads and people then started just chanting maiden maiden major during her songs and um she got her air off and basically said i don't care what you say i'm getting my fucking piano out and then everyone just booed the fuck out of her for the next 20 minutes before maiden came on
0: she just acted like,
1: she acted like a bit of a prat to be fair
0: well the fans were being dicked
1: no nah, bollocks she was a dick first
0: no i, I don't think I don't, not, not the way you just told it well i was there
1: i felt the vibe i know the crack you know no she was acting real petulant and over the top and stuff and just you know i suppose like perry at the start of this episode like weren't getting her own way so was having a bit of a stampy footy but yeah, don't get me wrong great set of pipes on the last she can sing it's a bit of a difference I, um,
0: no i'm not with you on that one but anyway we'll move on okay um because we've got more of perry being done when it's convenient Oh, okay, excellent. She, her and the master have a bit of a back and forth. She tries to run away, forgetting she's on a basically on a fucking cliff face. Yeah. Um, but at least she then turns it round and threatens to drop the component off the cliff and trap them all there. And, and, he, and he only tries to do the whole, do you know who I am things? So, I am the
1: master. And she just looks at him and says, so what? <laughs> yeah. I could shake like you, I think she says, or something along those lines, doesn't she? I can yeah, I can shout
0: just as loud as you. And it effectively comes a battle of wills between the master and Perry to for who who chameleon and will show effectively. And Anthony Inley got a great line when he's in like the control room wherever he is saying, Have I travelled a billion light years through time and space to be thwarted by this brat?
1: <laughs> brat is spot on. For what we've seen of Perry in the first episode, <laughs> Brat Bratt is a great description.
0: Yeah, but she does get the better of him because Silver Howard turns up. Perry decides to try and climb down as, as old Silver Howard is just staggering around as though he's pissed.
1: Mm. Yeah. Oh, dear, mate. Um,
0: it's, it's, it's bizarre. There's just there's so much
1: going on. Yeah. And but this is where Timonov meets him, isn't it? Because Timonov... Um, uh, yeah, sees, just, uh, sees just sees him as, Yeah, he sees him as Silver Howard, who then turns back into the Master, and Timonov then thinks the Master is a messenger from his god. And he's with Malcolm, yeah. their, their chosen one, who's kind of basically their leader, isn't he? And the master, Timonov, and, and all that, arrive back in their in their colony and so on. And that's where the Doctor is. Um, and then we cut back to a shot of Perry just randomly running about again. She, she likes a bit of a runabout, don't she, Perry?
0: And that's when we find out her footwear is wildly inappropriate because she slips down a gravel bank. Mm, yeah. Um, also, this is the point in my notes where I'd forgotten Timonov's name and I'd started calling him Okay, uh, That, <laughs> that works. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know where that's come from, but yeah, it was. It, what was it? I called it the other week with Perry, where the, it's the the equivalent of um, a man writing, you know, writing a woman's part in a, in a in a novel and saying, you know, her breasts bounce boobly down the stairs. Yes.
1: Yes, I, I refer to it as the Bouncy Bay watch run. very yeah, she, much what she's doing again here. Um I mean don't go wrong. I'm not complaining, but at the same time, we can see faults with how they're working this. Uh, Malcon and Turlow, at this point, are heading to what is basically but now been decided as to be a spaceship.
0: I, it's amongst all this, the doctors found all sorts of scientific equipment in the in the ah, in the, yes. in the volcano itself. and Established that there were people trying to harness something, and and how you know Logar's a myth and and all the rest. of It but the tunnels they've been using are actually
1: for lava overflow. Mm-hmm. It's Tryon Tech. They describe it as yeah, um, t- I, I, Turlo's home planet. Yeah, I don't know if it's Turlo or the Doctor who says that, but they they use that that phrase, don't they? It's Tryon Tech. And at this point, the Master arrives and says he's a messenger of Logar and again we're back to the fucking burning people shit
0: yeah yeah pretty much it's more Doctor Who back and forth um we've got the Doctor being presented by one party as you know here's the here's the truth of the matter we've got the Master being presented as another but because the Master's got uh Timonov in his corner it's uh it's crispy time
1: yeah i think that's pretty dark mind because that um the cliffhanger there the master saying you know burn them all and then the beginning of part three it's effectively the doctor and numerous other people around him getting ushered towards that 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 sort of chamber that kind of caged off section full of flames i find that image pretty dark
0: yeah and even then we've missed you know we've missed out bits there of uh, Turlow's suspecting that Malcom's from Tryon mm. uh, because he's the logo's the Mesos Triangle, which we established in part one, and and all the rest of it. And, and you know, some of the scientific equipments a transceiver to unit for a communications array. We've got the mystery of why Turlow doesn't want Tryon contact, uh, contacting. Perry's still lost and then gets found. Um, yeah. And it... I think like what Perry said saying she's seen everything today a transgalactic payphone a stepfather who turns into a robot and a robot who turns into a gangster because she thinks Anthony <laughs> is a gangster yeah that was
1: quite good but yeah it's
0: again very very dense
1: uh, Malcon saves the day though he, he arrives and basically says come on fellas let's knock all this burning people on the edge show is a bit much you know um, in the meantime Turlo manages to shut the gas off so that the fire <laughs> uh, the fire just goes away so it's, like, it's you know, just a, it's just a big fancy fireplace it is it is um but in this uh, th- this kind of you know melee here people shouting back and forth and stuff going on and uh, burn them don't burn them and all that um, Malcolm gets shot and, it's so unceremonious yeah it's just they just gun the guy down and it just, I mean it doesn't look great to be I know it's 1984 but we've seen better effects of, you know, lasers, I suppose, for one of a better threes. Or, or shall we say sci-fi weapons, that might be a better description. Yeah. It don't look very good to me on this one. No,
0: it wasn't brilliant. And there's some, there's some okay effects in this. Mm, yeah, yeah. We'll see later on. Um, but, yeah, this was a, a bit of a weak spot. And it's, it's one of the things I was alluding to when I said that, you know, when I said everybody plays the parts pretty well, this wasn't great. No. Because, you know, they're supposed to think he's dead. But he's talking as well. Yeah, dead or dying, but there's no hysterics, there's nothing from anybody, no
1: emotion whatsoever. Perhaps I just didn't like him. Yeah, he's dead, but you're a bit of a cock, so... We'll we'll get over that very quickly. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, The Doctor... Well, Turlo's cut the gas off, as we said. Malcolm's been shot. The Doctor turns chameleon back into silver howard by the power of his mind which is a bloody odd can- sentence when you think back to it and so we did get some classic wee
0: will beep boop okay because, yeah the, i'm calling them the sana because it makes me think of canaanites from back in the day in wrestling um He's giving it his whole silver puppet jumping on a string, blah blah blah. And chameleon's, you know, got the the transformative shimmering going on. And they think it's a sign of him being from Logar and whatever. But it's actually psychomorphic uh, fringing, which we should have spotted, really, given our advanced degrees in all things time lord. Uh, says I'm, I'm kicking that... myself now. Absolutely kicking myself. Yeah, I know. I did the same. You know, nothing supernatural about that. It's an intermediate stage between anthropoid and robotic identity, which you know you learn that on day one. Yeah, we all know that. I feel so silly now. Well, you know, it's, it's hard to keep all these things in check it in your
1: brain. I mean it is I mean I'm struggling to keep up with the master the robot and Silver Howard this is throwing me off all over the place <laughs> yeah. it, it gets
0: even worse as <laughs> well by the end of this
1: episode <laughs> I mean to, to, make, to make it even more confusing for myself I've attempted to type um, the master is back but somehow managed to type it as the back master is here so I do <laughs> <know what I'm... laughs>
0: so was, it, was it like an infomercial for a, for a piece of home workout equipment
1: in the 80s Perhaps the master is just really misunderstood and he's just a door-to-door salesman through space and time selling massage equipment. You know, all he wants to do is make himself a few quid, selling his backmaster, go back into his little TARDIS and and eat his gherkins and pickled onions and dolmeo sauce. He's just really misunderstood. And the doctor (laughs) comes along, fucking up his business plans, won't let him have his meals. You know, no wonder he's pissed off. Yeah,
0: but then he's, you know, they imprisoned the doctor and the other non-believers in this cave that somehow blocks the doctor's psychicness, and then he's just there caressing a golden spike. Is Antony and saying, "Oh, doctor, you quite let your enthusiasm get away with you," and talking about he's dreamed of a million exquisite tortures. Uh, it, it was, it was uncomfortable the way he was talking like that. It felt like he was getting off on it.
1: Yeah, um, he leaves He does the typical James Bond, um, you know villain aspect thing that we've spoken about in doctor who before where rather than stay and watch his adversary die and make sure it's happened he just assumes it's going to go to plan and the master leaves with perry and goes back to his tardis did you clock when- a,
0: sorry did you clock how he pronounced the word demise yes yes he went what i'm presuming is the original french version called a demise. Hmm.
1: yeah a bit odd but you know is what it is um Turlough arrives and, and kind of lets everyone out. And they,
0: they, <laughs> they, could have, they could have they could have reached through the bars
1: and flicked that switch. Yeah, but they got to wait for old old you know tiny pants to turn up and save the day. Uh, tiny tiny pants Turlough. Tiny pants, Turlo. tiny pants Turlo. <laughs> Um And he thinks that Malcon is his brother because they both have this same mark on their arm and so on. Now that was quite dramatic.
0: Yeah. Hmm yeah it was like you know what we are saying because Turlow goes quite over the top so I'll kill off for this it's like no time we've got to think you know we've got to get Perry and it was a, almost like a, a soap opera thing of I think he's my brother dun dun
1: dun yeah <laughs> and then like you're spot on as well because that happens Turlow's like I'll oh, kill Timonoff and the Doctor's like ah pack that in mate and they all just forget about it and move on to the next thing straight away yes. hey. <laughs> it's, it's silly um the master is using uh other people f- from from the planet to help stand his tardis back up effectively <laughs> with with, with, the pro- with the promise of gifts from the outsider who they think he is the outsider apparently always brings gifts i'm assuming some form of you know back massage equipment and get this, get this up and i'll give you a present yeah exa- exactly <laughs> Uh, it sounds like a line that they probably wrote for perry and then thought no that's going too far um (laughs) and he's talking to Timonov throughout all this isn't he and saying about you know the presence from the outsider and all that and they get it all sorted out and he opens the door to his TARDIS runs in and then just sticks his head out the door and goes gullible idiot and disappears
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's pantomime at that point but it was pretty funny
1: um it, it's the sci-fi time travel equivalent of going you mug
0: you know <laughs> no, it's not even that it's the sci-fi time travel equivalent of putting your th- putting your thumb up to your nose wiggling your fingers and going yeah <laughs> yeah
1: exactly oh dear um the master and perry are now in the master's tard- well i say the master this is still uh shiny Howard chameleon master And Perry are in his TARDIS, which is basically the same as the Doctor's TARDIS, but black. And I thought it was pretty cool. He's just put the
0: desktop on dark mode.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it was quite good. It was quite good. Um, The Doctor goes to his own TARDIS because he says he can materialize his TARDIS around the Master's TARDIS and the Master can't leave. But he then can't do that because there's something missing from his TARDIS from earlier on, so that all seemed a bit pointless as well. It really. was,
0: yeah. The, it was oh, what was it? I can't remember. The temporal stabilisers have gone. That was it. Right. Um, which you know, if if you can't temporal, if you can't stabilise temporarily, you're never going anywhere. Time travel-wise,
1: goes right um, saying, mate. That's that's quite yeah. early on in the manual, isn't it? So oh, page seven, I believe. Yeah. So there we go. Um, so the Master um, gets away, or, or shiny android Howard Master gets away and then yeah. they land and in the heart of the they, volcano in, they do but in the uh, sorry after they do
0: that so we, we get one of Anthony Ailey's best moments Okay, it's when he shows off the tissue compression eliminator right? and he yeah. shrinks down a couple of spaces and he just leans into Perry and says the same will happen to you my dear if you obstruct me and it's just a really well delivered line really creepy and ominous
1: Yes that was brilliant but the name of the machine or the weapon or the tool or however you want to word it tissue compression eliminator is that not a contradiction in terms because this it is, is making, also. this is making things smaller so tissue yeah. compression is what the, do, the the master sorry does uh, he makes he shrinks things surely having something that eliminates or is an eliminator to tissue compression it would work the other way it would blow them up yeah you think
0: so? Yeah, hmm. yeah. Or if you take it at full face value, it eliminates whatever is compressing your tissues, which every teenage boy will have needed at some point. Well, especially
1: watching this with Perry running around. Um, oh, I didn't think that one through before I went down that <laughs> avenue. <you? laughs> uh, he shrinks some clothes, which I thought was quite cool. And um, the master, <laughs> the master is using the tremors and thunder and so on to sort of display his power and, and I'll get a bit lost again here, but the the primarily the whole point of this, the master being there and what he's doing, we're finding out here at the trail end of episode three is that there's some kind of gas that comes from this blue healing flame Mm. and there's something wrong with the master. He's, he's a bit poorly apparently and he needs this to, sort himself out and that's kind of his motivation here isn't it
0: yeah it is i, I wrote down what it was because it's, it's quite difficult to um to pronounce uh, Numismaton gas it's called okay. an, immense, an immensely rare catalytic reagent which has infinite transformative power hmm so yeah he's basically he can't regenerate or he can't heal what's wrong with him so he needs the gas to uh, to fix himself and you're right i've got so much written down here because the master's setting off volcanic eruptions and earthquakes there's uh, they're arguing about what to do and and everything like that and it is all just to get to the point of this gas and yeah. to figure out that the master is still in the volcano uh, still on sand and still in the volcano
1: and we get this information from our old buddy, Timonov, uh, as he explains that the gases made him born again. Um, yeah. And this, he tells the story to the doctor about this and the power of the, the these gases and how it made him feel super strong and healthy and all this sort of stuff. And that's when the doctor sort of twigs that the master must be wanting to do that. We also here get the conversation. Well, I think it's around here of how, um, the, the the god Logar is it am I saying mm. that yeah Um, used to appear glowing dressed well covered in silver or whatever around the top of this mountain and so on but it's just kind of just dropped in there at some point here which didn't feel out like of place but later on when it becomes a story point I thought it was quite clever foreshadowing do
0: you know what I didn't even clock that I didn't even clock that they'd said that he appears shining at the... Wherever I just... I was sort of absorbed in the story that he was telling. It didn't even register mind. But yeah, now that you mention it, that is really clever foreshadowing.
1: Uh, we then get to... You know <clears throat> The master, The master's firing up uh, the blue healing flame here. And then Perry decides to go on another little jog. She makes a run for it again, doesn't she?
0: Um, she, does, she does quite well with this, though, because... Ah, uh, because while the master's sort of monologuing and doing his whole arch villain thing, she fiddles with the controls, shoves, um, shoves Chameleon, the, the Chameleon Master, runs off, hides, and then when he goes, when he when Chameleon makes to go after her, thinking she'll have run on, she runs past him again, avoids the shrink ray, and locks herself in the TARDIS. That's really smart thinking.
1: Yes, really good. And we then get to the point of uh, the master's control box, which which was brought up earlier on. We should have mentioned that really, I suppose. But the, the master has this control box that he references, and this is a huge part of his plan and so on. Perry's like, well, I've got the master's control box. Let's see what all this is about. Opens it up, and we get one of the best things I've ever seen in Doctor Who, in here and in the next episode. A teeny weeny tiny master. It's a mini master. The mini master, <laughs>
0: and it just, oh. you know, I, I, I didn't know this before I made my selections for, for this series. But how well does that tie up with um, uh, with the one we looked at for John Pert with Carnival of Monsters with a mini scope?
1: Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, more miniaturization. <laughs> and it's just funny, isn't it? He's just a teeny tiny.
1: And he looks up and says, you escaped from my slave, but will obey me or die. And that talks,
0: it talks back. a lot, talks a lot of shit for a guy who's about
1: to be attacked by a shoe. Yeah. Cause part four begin. And this tickled me. It's almost like when, um, y- y- you sort of leave a spider under a cup or, um, my one daughter hates snails. So occasionally I put a snail under a box and that just to scare her. And, you know, <laughs> You know when you like lift the lid up and you see yeah. something that you don't like or you weren't expecting or scares you and you go whoo and just kind of drop it. That's what Perry does with the box with a master in it. But it's uh, it's not quite that because did you see what happened just before that? Go on. Chameleon's trying to
0: get in, and Chameleon just runs at the door and just tries to battering ram headfirst through it and falls to, falls on his ass and reverts back to Silver Howard. <laughs> <laughs> if, oh. the, the robot the advanced intelligent robot that got done in by a bonk on the head decided to run face first at a TARDIS door.
1: <laughs> Bloody hell. He's a bit rubbish, isn't he? Let's be it's, honest. Again, it's, again, done when the story needs it. Yeah. Um, this, like I mentioned, I, I love this little master thing. It's great. But we come to something that I find even more amusing than seeing the little master in the box and Perry going, Whoo! and lobbing the box and all this sort of shit. Because little master then hops out the box and just goes pegging it around the floor, you know, like, yeah. like when you're like when you're trying to swap that big spider in the, in your front room with a shoe, and the spider's pegging it. The master's like, ah! I almost imagine the Benny Hill music playing underneath as his little legs were scurrying him around. You know, Oh, it was it was funny,
0: but then out of nowhere, Perry just starts sneezing, and she yeah, and she can't that? get him, and he just scurries off. Well, they needed to have something in there to make it so that Perry wasn't watching. So that the master could escape into the console, and they just said, "You know what? Hay fever."
1: <laughs> oh man, she's allergic to pint-sized time lords.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she's allergic. She's allergic to miniature
1: bullshit well, perhaps she's got a genuine allergy, like to know, pickled onions or something. So when she opens that box, can you imagine the smell with the master's <laughs> diet being in that box? Oh,
0: in encased miniature pickled onion fat.
1: Yeah. And she he's like, Oh, you know, you will obey me. And then Perry's like, what the fuck is that smell? A chew, a chew, and drops the box. Master pegs it.
0: Just goes to drop a goes to drop a tree bar mint on him and crushes him to death.
1: <laughs> she's oh man, she's swat chasing him with that shoe, trying to swat him it was so funny. <laughs>
0: It's just so ridiculous. It's it's the best thing ever. It really is. Uh, I I laugh so much because I'll be honest, up until this point, I wasn't massively invested in what was going on. It's all right. You know, it's not the worst thing in the world, but I weren't that fussed on it up until, up until I saw Perry chasing the master with a shoe.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. This bit tickled me so much. Um, Meanwhile, Turlo has uh, discovered that he can get a rescue ship to arrive because the planet is effectively in big trouble. Um, the, 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 master is, you know, starting these eruptions and firing up these different colored flames and all that sort of stuff. And the doctor can't fix that. He can only slow it down at best. Um, Turlow has been given a necklace here by Tivolov, which Turlow says he recognizes as being a key to help fire up some computer systems on a ship. Yeah, on the ship. Oh, yeah,
0: because we never mentioned before Turlough. They actually found the shipwreck um, that Turlough's father was brought to Simon. Mm. Yeah, that's another story point that went completely unspoken about because we forgot.
1: Yeah, well, I, was just too, I was just too interested in the master.
0: But then again, after all this, we get the whole stuff about Turlough. He can summon the rescue ship because the Mesos triangle is the mark of a prisoner. San was going to be a prison planet. His father's a political prisoner and his brother Malcolm would be there, you know, was with him and he and somehow escaped. Oh, he was exiled to Earth, wasn't he?
1: So San um, you say Sarn's a prison planet, so it's kind of like some sort of outer space Australia sort of thing.
0: Space Australia, yeah. Yeah, okay. Basically, and then the, the, the people there who believe in the fire god are all that's left of the indigenous population. So the... The the Tryons are just nabbing this planet for their own, stabilising the volcanoes just to send prisoners there, but then also making sure that the the people they send there would effectively rule the planet, making it a prison colony. And then later in the
1: episode, the Doctor said, "Oh well, they tried the best." Yeah. Again, it's a lot of information and a lot of backstory, which when you when you break it down, yeah, okay, it makes sense. But it's still a lot of information, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and and all the while we've got all this stuff. We're, we're flitting back between that, all the stuff with the flames, or trying to get people to the Hall of Fire so the Doctor can then get the TARDIS. And then we're getting the rescue ship. And then the master's in the console and he's, he's fiddling about in there. Perry's trying to find him. Silver Howard's having a lie down. Then we're... we're <laughs>
1: Silver Harrod's having a light down <laughs>
0: <laughs> after, after he found the off switch. To, you know, then, then we're splitting up. Turlo and Roscoe are going to go to the wreck to of the ship. But Doctor and Amiander doing something else. It's just, it's fucking all over the place. Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, the teeny master opens the TARDIS door in theory to let Silver Harrod in, I guess. <laughs>
0: Why does that sound like a euphemism
1: for him going for a shit? <laughs> um, perry's running about again the volcanoes erupting the doctor and perry bump into each other and, and head back to the the colony colony tunnels or, or the lava overflows and so on where people are meeting up and, and, and doing things there um turlow's f- using that key thing to fire the ship up and speaks to people gives his prison number and name and all that sort of stuff they're going to send a ship, a rescue ship. Um, the Doctor gets into the Master's TARDIS. This was funny. And takes the part he needs for his TARDIS. Chameleon, at this point, is waking up. And the Doctor has the Master back in a box again. The
0: Master's got back in the box himself, I think. But, the, <laughs> but Peter Davison and Perry and Amy are all there looking at him just going, ha, <laughs> ha
1: little man <laughs> yeah um the android silver harrod master then walks in as they're all looking at the teeny master in the box with a gun kicks them all out and a, the, a bloke in a science suit walks through some flames pretending to be the god because it turns out that these silver spacesuits, suits the master is messing about with shrinking and stuff are from the, when the Tryons and other races were yeah. initially there. And they, they all thought that this uh, shiny silver image that was a god was actually just some guy in a spacesuit trying to do science stuff to the volcano.
0: Trion volcanologists in thermal suits. Wow, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, so he sends Ami and off to, uh, to give Turlo the part to sort the TARDIS because the two TARDISes are still linked. So getting that part to Turlo and him fitting it will bring the Doctor's Tardis into the vicinity of the Master's Tardis, which has dematerialised but is actually materialising a few feet to the right just to make it easier for Silver Howard to put the Master's Box into the healing flames. It's yes. a lot. It's a lot.
1: Yes. Um, the ship arrives? No, we're not there yet, are we? Um... I mean, we may as well be because... All this goes in, all this
0: is, it it just, it doesn't need to be in any particular order, quite frankly. Uh, Basically, the gist of it is, everybody gets saved, ship arrives, the trine ship arrives, everybody gets on it. The Doctor gives Perry some instructions about what to do, um, because he's basically going to give Chameleon the electronic equivalent of a heart attack. Uh, But Perry, the Doctor still has to put Perry's hand on the actual switch to get to understand <laughs> Perry, touch this knob. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh, you know that was said less savourily in the uh, in the writers' room.
1: Yeah. Um, well, the masters talking about this scene, and one of the writers even turned around and went, now, in all honesty, does she have to have her top on for this?" Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet that was good. Disgust. <laughs> for, for God's sake, Jeff.
0: It's on daytime telly. Yes, stop asking. <laughs> um, they basically lure Chameleon into the into the range of this weapon after he's put the Master's box in in the flames. So Chameleon's dead. He gets a more emotional death than uh, than Malcon di- uh, did. Than Malcon did. But there's there's more bollocks going on. But effectively, the Doctor then just leaves the Master to burn.
1: Well, yeah, because Teeny Master grows in the blue flames and he, he, Teeny Master is like normal master and he's running his mouth about how he's going to do master shit and take over the universe and all that sort of stuff. And then the flames change colour and burn him alive? Yeah, but he, he, begs, he has enough time to beg the Doctor to help him, offers him anything in creation, even begs for mercy. Yeah, this was a bit dark, wasn't it? The doctor just kind of stands there and watches him die. Especially especially for Peter Davison's doctor. I mean he does he does you know, I suppose coining a wrestling phrase, he does sell it afterwards. He does come across visibly shook or upset by what's happened.
0: Yeah, he does. And so
1: Perry kind of goes, So what's going on then? And he's like, and just kind of shakes it off. Yeah, he has
0: to go he goes into I'm fine mode. Yeah. Which is very, very doctor. Yeah, um, but we've also but so the master's dead but we know the master's never really dead um, all the san, uh, the Sarnites have been evacuated Turlow then gets informed that political prisoners aren't persecuted anymore so he's free to do as he wants Malkin's going back to try on with everybody else and we get a, a very abrupt goodbye from Turlow Mm. Where the doctor basically has to say has to cut him cut him off because Turbo can't bring himself to say it, but the doctor says, you know, best to have you go back to trial while you're a
1: hero. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. If I was the doctor, I'd be quite glad to see the back of this dude because he's nothing but trouble, mate. Fair enough. I, I don't know enough about Turlo. I've only said, we've only done the odd bit with him. So yeah, well, his first three stories um, are kind of. Um, A loosely linked trilogy I suppose different stories but there's running themes throughout them and and Turlo is basically there to fuck the Doctor up yes I remember you saying and there's also other situations where he's easily led by the Master or other bad guys and he's just not worth the effort mate I'd have binned him off a long time ago
0: fair enough but his last line to um, to Perry and the Doctor is uh, look after him won't you he gets in the most terrible trouble and then he just fucks off
1: yeah, and, and Sar gets a lot happier. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see the back of um, Perry is then in the TARDIS with the Doctor. Doctor said he's going to take her home uh, because, of course, he's got such a good track record with that sort of shit. And um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perry says, well, I've got three months. Obviously not fully understanding or grasping that this is a time machine, so that's irrelevant, but whatever. Uh, and Perry's explaining, I've got three months before I'm back Um, from my holiday or my studies and so on I wanted Mm. to travel and the doctor says you want to travel with me? And Mm. so is that an offer? He says no it's a question. Yeah. And she basically asks again and the doctor says well okay welcome aboard Perry and that's literally the end of the story. So I suppose on one big positive we get a little bit of Peter I, I like Peter Davison I'm a big fan of Davison's Doctor I'm growing to like Perry more and more the more we see of her. It's two stories we get where Perry is with Davison. We've looked at them both now for the show. I like the dynamic of Perry and Davison. I wish we had a bit more of it. But mm-hmm. Sadly, we don't because the next story, next, story, next, next series is, is obviously where Davison regenerates. But that's a plus point for me. You know, Perry coming on board the show. But I mean, it's not awful, this story, but at the same time, it's not great, I guess. It's one of those where there's a lot of good ideas.
0: There's a lot in there that you can say, yes, one or one or two of those combined would be a really good story. In principle, the idea with Chameleon and the master planting control in an earlier serial and then taking him over to, to you know, to meet his own nefarious ends That you can stretch that concept alone over one or two, or over a one or two parter. The whole thing with Turlo and San and the prison planet and his backstory—that can be a one or two parter. The you know they've just tried to cram too much into too little time. I think.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. There's there's so many. You know, we've got Perry's uh, Perry's introduction as well. And, and things like that. There was There's just too much going on. And while I never felt... I don't know. It's hard to say because while I say I never felt lost with the story, I then couldn't keep track of certain things at certain points. So It's, it's a really difficult one. I, I would watch it again, but I wouldn't rush to do so.
1: I, I think with regards to the story being a bit complex, having a lot going on and and, and getting lost in it a bit and so on, I'm going to contradict myself a touch here, but bear with me. I feel that us talking about it and trying to explain it in audio format here for a podcast makes it sound more complicated and hard work than it actually is to watch. Mm, But at the same time, I mean, we're now on episode, I don't know, this is our fourth season and we've done how many, 50 odd, pushing 60 episodes down, haven't we? Looking at all sorts of different time frames of of Doctor Who Mm. and so on. I can count on one hand the amount of times I've got to pause an episode to check my notes or even hit the sort of back 10 seconds button to scan back because I've not understood something Mm. in 50 plus episodes. I had to do it several times here whilst watching this. So I feel us talking about it has made it sound more complicated than it would if somebody was just to sit and watch it as opposed to sit and watch it, try and take notes to talk about it for a podcast. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not as straightforward as it could have been, I guess.
0: Yeah. And and the, 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 the contradictory thing goes along with sort of the confliction, in my opinion, because... It, again, I don't think it was bad, but I can't say it was good. Mm. The, there were good elements, there was good ideas the, the, But the execution of it is is just not there. this This could have been two two-parters rather than a four-parter with everything trying to flesh out. I, I've referenced before how, P, you know in certain aspects, it feels like writers have been pitching ideas for so long. And then they just say, fine, we'll stick it to this story.
1: Yeah, and, and I wonder if it's, it'd be interesting to go back and have a look at those stories that we've discussed that point on, because this is the at the end of the season. We've got one more story. Mm. Now, the, 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 the series finale in New Who, um, especially when we get into the, the sort of Tom Baker, Peter Davison era, that was you know penned and, and put in place what they were going to close the seasons with quite early on. Um normally, I mean, in Tom Baker's era and even John Pertwee's era for a little bit, they went for a spell of having four parters. But the season finale would be a six parter because it was done as a bigger deal. Um, so this would have been the last serial put in before what they decided was going to close the show with Davison's regeneration and so on. I wonder how many of those stories we've said about, with regards to people having lots of ideas, I'll just throw it in there, come at the end of a season. And yeah. they've, they've ran out of other stories to chuck it into, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. It, it, certainly, it certainly feels that way. It's
0: Yeah, yeah I, I feel like if I try and say anything else, I'll just overcomplicate my own explanation of something mm-hmm. that's overcomplicated.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, 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 final, my final thought, I suppose, my final my final say to to the people that listen to the show. Um, I I appreciate many people do watch classic who and new who along with us. And they, they watch these, these stories in preparation for hearing us talk about it, which I'm hugely grateful for. It's, you know, it it amazes me that first of all, people listen to to you and I rambling on about this Dan, in the first place. But then it it amazes me even further that people are actually watching along with us, which is superb. Um, If you have watched this already, by all means, tweet the show at the Doctor Who pod. Let us know your thoughts on this story and and your thoughts on what Dan and I have said today. But secondly, if you've not seen this one yet, I would recommend you watch it. There's enough there to make it worth a watch. But just be prepared to occasionally go, what the fuck?
0: (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. It's one that I'd describe as middle of the road. There's enough there to enjoy and get your teeth into but it's, do you know what I've just realised? It's like in Matilda when uh, the, when that the, that fat lad gets given a massive cake.
1: I've not seen it. You see, not,
0: not even that iconic scene where he's been, he's, he's like stolen chocolate or something and he says, right, as a punishment, right, you have to eat this entire, like, massive chocolate cake. So it's like it's something that you love, but it's just too dense and too much to get into. But you'll really enjoy it. For at least half the time,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's fair enough. That makes sense.
0: Not watched fucking Matilda. Jesus, whips. I've not watched.
1: Matilda. <laughs> anyway, what are we doing next week, Dan? Or well, don't we really know? Because t- at, at this point,
0: at this point, changed. we're not. Yeah, we're not fully certain. Um, it could be a guest episode. It could be something else. Uh, we're not sure yet. So it will either be invasion of time. Or one of the other ones that I mentioned at the start
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Uh whereabouts can people find you and uh well anything else you're involved in?
0: Uh, I'm on Twitter at Dan Griffin 21 usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. If you want to hear more of me talking about stuff, I'm over on Unbooking the Territory. We're on Twitter there at UTT Podcast, looking at the first and last of professional wrestling. Uh, we also have side projects, uh, Unbooking the Tankatory, which is... Soon to be coming to an end, looking at the life and times of the in-ring career of the hardest man that ever lived, Tank Abbott in WCW. And we are putting the territory uh, where we're looking at the only time a wrestling championship changed hands via legitimate sporting competition in the being the elite a golf tournament. Because Rob suggests things when I'm drunk
1: and I go along with it. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Uh, anything I'm involved in as always you can find via the network that carries this show so that can be found on Facebook and Twitter at SJP World Media on Facebook there is a page and a private group the private group is also somewhere you can find all the live videos and live shows live content we do which includes chain wrestling on a Monday night in the corner looking at modern day WWE on a Wednesday Uh, there's a gaming show now live via the network on a Sunday afternoon with uh, Mr. Benny Mac there And football coverage joining us this coming season. The opening of that starts early August with The Volley Live, which will also be available in podcast form, which all of our live shows are via SJP World Media. Uh, But most importantly, you can find and follow this show, again, on all your podcast players and on Facebook and Twitter. That's at the Doctor Who Pod. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who Pod. Dan. I have had a blast even though this has been a bit weird with Silver Howards and Bouncy Runny Perrys and Chameleon teeny, Nipples Chameleon Nipples and Teeny Tiny Masters and I don't know but there we go I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week my friend yeah can't wait the joy's in the chat mate there we go and as always to everybody else thank you for listening
0: imagine right hear out
1: if you know the whole thing with David
0: Tennant regenerating from Jodie Whittaker and bringing his clothes back, imagine yeah. if this isn't the 15th Doctor and it's actually Chameleon coming back. Uh, God help us. Uh,
1: imagine if Silver Harrod comes back.
0: More oh, to no, the point. More to the point. Chameleon nipples are coming back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> <laughs>